0: Welcome to Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. In this show, we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing. And I am your host, Ramakrishna. Let's begin the show. Today's our guest is Nissan Mazari from Cornerstone Investment Partners LLC. Welcome, Nissan.
1: Hi, Rama. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for being on the show. A little bit about Nissan. Nissan is a co founder and CEO of Cornerstone Investment Partners LLC and has been involved in real estate for the past 20 years and currently owns many properties nationally and worldwide. He and his team have created systems to be able to chart a market's progression and to pinpoint the best time to exit. His background ranges from managing commercial assets, recognizing emerging markets, property management, syndication, mentoring, and advanced creative financing techniques. With that, Nisan, would you like to add anything to your background?
1: I traveled the world for many, many years. I was a long-haired hippie. Actually, um, I was in India for a year and then traveled to different parts of Southeast Asia, Australia, Europe, South America. So, I did that as well.
0: Cool, thanks. So, how did you get started into real estate? estate? and multifamily?
1: So, you know, I was one of the lucky ones. I guess you could say I was lucky. Father always put it into my head that, you know, there's two types of people, those that pay rent and those that collect. And he always wanted to make sure that I collected rent and never paid rent. Right. He also taught me that the richest person on the planet is not someone who's got billions and billions of dollars, but it's the person who owns a piece of land free and clear where nobody could ever take it away from them. And then you can do with it what you want. You can build on it. You can rent it. You can lease it. You can borrow against you can do so many different things. And, uh, with his mentorship and his leadership, I was able to learn the inside and the outside of real estate and in different aspects of it. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to spend my time in New York City cleaning out elevator shafts and going into those big water tanks that you see on top of the old buildings in New York. That's how I used to spend my summer. So that's kind of how I got started in real estate, just watching and learning and and looking. And then, uh, I got started in multifamily in 2000. 10, uh, where um, I was looking for, for a way to create passive income, because I myself am very lazy. As I said, I, I traveled the world and I was a long haired hippie. So I didn't really want to go into corporate life again. I didn't want to get sucked into that kind of lifestyle. And I was looking for an answer. What could I do that, you know, doesn't need a lot of physical work for me, you know, um, I can create a nice team around myself, you know, delegate, have passive income. And I realized that, you know, people will Always need a place to live, always, in good times and in bad times. So I went out and I started looking and searching for, you know, different ways to do it and whatnot. And I came across my mentor and I bought his home study program and I sat and I listened to his audio CDs day in and day out and I, I memorized everything. And, and then I went to buy my first fourplex and I did everything wrong. And then I went and I flipped the 26 unit and netted about $60,000 and then got involved with a class A multifamily for about 140 units. And just kind of learned by making mistakes as we say right right so that's kind of how i got started in multifamily.
0: so you're lucky once you got mentored at early stages early of your career
1: right right and now i offer mentoring for people who want to get involved and and you know a lot of the coaching programs and mentoring programs out there you know a lot of them are you know you go to these uh three-day event and you're sitting in a room with hundreds of people and they bring out this fire hose formation for three days. And then you go home Sunday and you're expected to be successful. So I created a program where I actually hold people's hands and take them step by step through the entire process and there's homework and there's, you know, real life action that needs to be happening. And then we get together after that and we we talk about it in a live group setting. So it's very class-like oriented and uh, you can get to go through it as quickly or as slow as you want and you can go back anytime you want from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to go to some hotel or whatnot. So yes, you know, I got myself a mentor and and thank God, you know, I did whatever it took to, to become successful. I built a great team around me and um, yeah, it's been awesome. So any
0: challenges you faced during early stages of multifamily journey and how did you overcome
1: them? So, you know, one of the, some of the biggest challenges were experience, track record, knowledge, right? Money, right? Because, you know, we always think that in real estate, you need to have, you know, you need when you buy real estate, you buy with your own money, right? right? Because usually the only piece of real estate that people buy in their life is their home. So they know that they have to come up with money for the dump, and then they go to a bank and they get a loan from the bank. And and that's kind of the traditional way of doing things, right? So when you start looking at multifamily, you go, my God, how do I go out there and buy a 100-unit apartment complex, a 50-unit complex, even a 10-unit apartment complex that could cost a million dollars? How do I do that? I don't have... That kind of money in the bank saved up. So how do I do that? Right. So those are a lot of the challenges that I would say a lot of people, if not everybody, has when they get started in multifamily acquisitions and apartments, or even in real estate. So I learned quickly that you know the rich do things differently. The rich and the wealthy do things differently. They they leverage everything, right? Right. They borrow as much money as they can from the bank. Then they get investors. They leverage other people's money. They leverage other people's knowledge. If you know, track record, right? Look at all these huge developers, the guy who owns the the, the company, he's not the one that's hammering in the nails and putting in the windows. He's not the one that's paying for all of this. He gets his investors, he gets banks, he gets people to give him money. And then he hires people, right? He gets other people's knowledge and skill set. So this is what I learned early on, uh, you know, not early on, but, you know, fairly early, but it took me a long time to be able to raise capital. But that's been uh, one of the obstacles, right? Getting people to invest in you, especially when you're beginning and you don't have a track record, you don't have experience and you don't have knowledge. Like, how do you do that? Right? So you got to build a team around you that can help you achieve massive success, right? People that have experience, that have knowledge, that you can, you know, acquire that knowledge and that the track record and skill set by proximity, by being close, by having them on your team, right? You know, Denzel Washington says the best, you hang around with five doctors, you'll become the sixth doctor. You hang around five entrepreneurs and CEOs and successful business people, you'll become the sixth. You hang out with dumbasses. Well, guess what? You'll become the sixth dumbass as well. So it's all about the team that you build around you. So
0: So how many assets or units your company currently controls? So
1: Cornerstone right now, you know, it, we go through a lot of cycles with our properties, right? Right. The whole game, right? The whole game is not to really, there, there's several different ways of looking at it, right? So if we have our company Cornerstone that buys and sells and buys and sells and buys and sells. And then we have our other company that's kind of like a holding company of properties that we buy and hold, right? Forever. Right. So we have a lot of properties that we've, that we're holding on to forever in my portfolio. I'm partners in uh, two office buildings in Manhattan that will We'll never sell and uh, right now currently apartments uh, we have about I' say about 500 units right now we have 50 units that closing at the end of this month and then we have another 64 in the end of September and we're we're constantly rolling we have a couple of properties on the market for sale as well so you know that's it's always in flux
0: right so and what is your process of spotting emerging markets
1: it's a great question so what I'll do is um you know there's there are certain reports that come out in the end of the year in the beginning of the year. The Milken Report is one of them. I look the, first of all, what markets are close to me? Is it easy for me to get to? And then once I look at these markets, so for me, I live in South Florida. So for me, the Southeast is very easy to get to. And luckily the Southeast right now is an entire emerging market, right? So many reasons. Um, but one of the ways that I look for emerging markets is I'll Google what cities have the best job growth right. or potential for job growth, right? right? And then I'll start researching from there because the number one holy grail for us is job growth. We want to go into a market that has a lot of strong jobs that are being developed, that are coming in the future. We're looking for cities that have good, strong leadership, good, you know, mayor, an economic development committee, a chamber of commerce that really is vibrant and understands that jobs is what fuels the economy of a market, the city, of the state, right? So we look for that. Um, a lot of times I'll also check U-Haul, one-way destinations. Where are people going? What's the number one or two top five places where people are going one way? And I'll start researching those areas. So there's many different ways of researching and looking at your markets. You know, first, like I said, I want to make sure that it's easy for me to get to. I don't want to get on two flights and then have to drive another four hours. That's just a big pain in my, you know, just a big pain. So you want to make it easy for yourself, right? That's the name of the game. The name of the game is making life easy, not more difficult.
0: So right. Yeah. So on what type of properties your company invests and what size?
1: Well, if it's like, you know, like I said, very close to me, we're in um, the Southeast. I'm willing to go as low as 50 units, 150 units. That's kind of the sweet spot. Right now, we're probably focusing on properties that are below the hundred unit mark. Um, and for your listeners right now, I suggest you take out a pen and paper and write this down because it is important. Right now, you know, above a hundred, you've got all of the REITs and the funds and the, the black stones and river rocks and pebbles and all these big funds that are going into these primary markets and they're looking at a hundred units and bigger. So we don't want to compete with these people. Plus the sellers know that uh, they have a lot a huge buying pool because they're a hundred units and above, right? That's you know when you're sitting in these rooms with These gurus, they teach you, they say, oh, you know, go big, go fast, you know, 100 units and up and blah, blah, blah. Excuse me. So what we found is that we're competing against these big groups and we don't want to compete against them. So we decided to go below 100 units because not a lot of people are looking below 100 units. And what you'll find is if you go into the secondary markets, and tertiary markets, and you go 100 units, you will find some amazing opportunities, right? The cash flow is stronger. The upside is greater. You know, not many people will want to, you know, these big funds and whatnot, you don't want to go into these markets. Uh, However, you know, when you go to sell, you're still part of this strong MSA, Metropolitan Statistical Area that attracts buyers. So you'll still be able to sell your property when the time comes. Right. And
0: type of properties, what type of
1: So type of properties, we like garden style, multifamily. We don't really want to deal with elevators and things of that nature. Garden style, we like to look at things that aren't older than 1980 uh, vintage, right? And uh, things that have uh, value add, right? Things that have deferred maintenance that a uh, management company has been you know lacking in in pushing rent and they take a lot of time renovating and doing all these things so um these are the type of assets that we look for right
0: so would you like to share us about advanced creative financing techniques that you mentioned in our bio that you're implementing right now or in the past
1: well right now so you know especially now right uh, with um in things that are going on right now uh, we found that the lenders, right? Fannie, Freddie, um, anybody who's lending on uh, on multifamily right now, they want us to come up with these extra COVID escrows, right? Right. 12 to 18 months of principal and interest. And then sometimes they even want an extra six months of real estate insurance. So these numbers, you know, when you have to raise these numbers, they can see your returns to your investors, right? They can, you know, that they, they lower the returns because you have to raise more money. But now this money is sitting in an escrow account and it's not earning anything right. it's actually costing you money right so a lot what we're doing now is we're going and we're telling sellers we're saying listen you know we can actually pay you a little bit you know maybe come in at close to your asking price maybe even at your asking price however we'll need you to do seller financing for it, right we'll sell a finance. you come you sell a finance it right with we'll balloon payment um we'll put it in escrow Every month, and then you know so forth, or if they don't want to sell it to us, we'll do a master lease option, right? Nice. So we'll we'll put a master lease together where we run the property, but we're leasing it from them, right? So it's not a mortgage payment because a lot of times sellers will say, "Yeah, but what if we don't pay? I'm gonna have to start foreclosing and blah blah blah." And I have a mortgage and so on. So we say, "Let's put it under a master lease." So like this, if we don't pay, you just have to evict us, not a foreclosure, and the lease payments will will go towards the purchase price, right? Or or 90% of the lease payments will go towards the purchase price. And then when we close, we calculate and whatnot like this. What happens is we can now wait a year to stabilize the property and to get rid of this pandemic. And then once that's done, we can refinance the seller out. Now, if you're doing a master lease option, you've got to be careful because when you're going to buy the property or get the seller out, it's not a refi, it's an acquisition. So you may still have to come up with 20 or 30 percent of the equity you know the down payment because it is a purchase when you're doing seller financing and the and and the deed is actually transferring to you, the new buyer, then you can do a refinance. And you just have to make sure that you maintain the value of the property and then increase it so that the value is there when you're refinancing.
0: Right. Those are like very good techniques. Thanks for sharing those techniques. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, a lot of people know about these techniques. It's just, you know, when you're buying multifamily, you don't realize sometimes that, hey, you know what, I can actually do this. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can go and you can get a hard money loan. Right. So th- there's many different ways and, and there's ways of doing it also with insurance policies, having the insurance policy Fund, You need to have a good insurance broker that understands real estate and what you're doing so that you can, you know, get your insurance policies involved in this as well.
0: Right. And would you share about systems you are using to track market progression?
1: Well, the systems that we have right now, the market progression. So we keep a very close eye on the economic development committee of the city. And what we'll do is is once a month, we'll give them a call and we'll talk. We'll see what's going on, how many new jobs are coming in, where's the path of progress. So we have a chart, we have a list of all the markets that we want to be in, right, that we're looking at. And first thing we do is we call the economic development committee and figure out what's the plan and so forth, right? So we find a city, we'll call the city office. The city hall we'll ask them for the city master plan we'll get that we'll look where the path of progress is where they're building where they want to build how long it's going to take and then we call the economic development committee And we ask them, what type of jobs? White collar, blue collar, gray collar, pink collar, purple collar, whatever. Who's coming into the market? Right. Right, what kind of jobs are coming in, right? And then we figure out, okay, what's the best asset to buy in this market, right? And then we'll do that. Then what I'll do is I'll set up Google Alert for the markets that I'm in. And anytime something happens in that market, we get a ding, right? I get an email. Right, hey, Google search, you know, something happened in this market. It gives me the whole, you know, news of what's going on. And a lot of times there's a lot of information on on real estate and jobs and and who's coming and. Walmart just broke ground on a 100 million acre, you know, or a million acre lot. And uh, they're building a super Walmart, you know, 20 miles or or five miles from this property or from this area or blah, 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 blah. So we're like, oh, wow, check this out. Right. Right. So that kind of also helps you stay focused and you know immediately about what's going on. So that's a very good thing to do as well is create your Google alert. Great. So how did you decide the exit plan? How do we decide, how do we come up with our exit strategy? Yes. So, you know, we look at the purchase, at the cap rate that we're buying, that we're going in. And okay, so let, let, let me restart. So let's take now, for example, okay. And it's in in the environment that we're in with the pandemic and, and you know, the, uh, the crisis and, and people out of work and so forth. So what now, when we're buying a property, we're saying, okay, what happens if this pandemic goes for another six months, another year, and so forth. So in these times, we're looking to, again, And our hold period. Okay. Usually, you see, now also we have to know where our city and our property that we're going to buy is the market cycle. If we're in the buyer's market and we're at the bottom of the cycle, then we're probably going to hold it for maybe maximum three years because once that city is going to start heating up, people are going to come and they're going to, you know, the value of our property is going to increase drastically. And we don't want to hold it to a point where now we're in a seller's market and then we may hit the top top of the, the market and then it'll plummet again. Yep. So when we're in this buyer's market, we're buying and then we're going to hold it for about three years. Now in a seller's market with a pandemic, in the situation we're in now, we want to hold it for a little bit longer. So our hold period is between five to seven years. And not only that, but now the term of our mortgage is also longer. We're not doing seven-year terms or 10-year terms. We're doing 12 year terms because we don't want to be in a situation where, oh wow, you know, pandemic is taking longer. Now the markets are suffering even more. And here we are, we're coming up to the end of the term of our mortgage and either refinance or sell, and the value is not there. So we want to make sure we have a long runway to deal with anything that happens and anything that goes sideways. And obviously, you know, when we're doing our analysis and our underwriting, we pick a point in time, right? We just say, okay, you're five. And if we're buying at a six cap, we'll say we'll sell it at a seven cap just to be conservative. Okay. And we'll see how the numbers play out in in that Format. And that's kind of how we pick. Now, obviously, when we're after we've acquired the property and we're renovating the property and, you know, we're in a good market, we're we're getting calls constantly from new buyers, right? From brokers. Hey, do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? Now, if we're going to sell before. Or our timeline and we have to make sure that we hit the returns that we promised our investors when we were raising capital. Right.
0: And you're investing from last like 20 years, right? So what kind of changes you have seen in last two decades from market cycles or investment strategies, any other?
1: So, you know, beginning of 2000s, it was it was a hot market, right? Everything was was just cooking, right? Things were cooking, houses were selling, it was crazy. And then, the, then you know, 06, 7, 8, 9, market Bang! Boom! They went down, and people—I mean, you know—you uh, <laughs> you know what was going on. And now we—and then we started coming back out, right? 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. I mean, then 2016 came, and then President Trump came into power, and the market took off, and real estate. And now we've got opportunity zones, and you know, with the right leadership, uh, the economy can do incredible things, and it can grow dramatically, right? I'm seeing under President Trump's uh, presidency, the stock market went up, economy uh, le- unemployment went down, right? More people are working. So, you know, more people are putting more money in their pockets. So this boosts the economy. And then of course, you know, suddenly we have a pandemic, which in our lifetimes, we've never seen anything like this before. So we don't really know how to handle it. It's kind of new for everybody. So that's kind of, you know, that's, that's been, but you got to be able to, you know, it's important to buy real estate correctly and conservatively so that when, you know, things go sideways, you're able to maintain the asset and continue to fail the ship through muddy waters as we say right
0: right can you please tell me about your best apartment investing experience
1: so far sure 240 units in Dallas c-class property we bought it extremely cheap bought it for about five and a half million dollars we put a million dollars into it and then twenty six months later 21 between 21 to 26 months later I don't remember exactly uh, we got an offer for 11 million dollars we paid a million dollar prepayment penalty and our investors made kill it now looking back hindsight you know, we probably could have kept that property for maybe another year and sold it for $14, 15000000 million, right? But, but that's hindsight. Right. Timing is everything. Yeah.
0: So can you tell me about your worst apartment investing experience?
1: Worst apartment investing experience? Um, yeah, sure. So we bought an apartment complex tenant. There was a tenant that had a master lease. So they were running the, they had all the tenants inside. I was a governmental agency. And uh, what happened was, so when we bought the property, we had to get a bridge loan because fannie and Freddie didn't want the master lease in place so we had two years to renovate get tenants out and renovate and bring it in now we agreed with the tenant that had the master lease that we wouldn't kick them out at one and they wouldn't leave at once so that you know the property wouldn't be empty uh, they say agreed and they started nice and slowly vacating the property and we were renovating them and uh, we had a very bad management company one of my partners just brought them on board and they were horrible right the management company was just horrible it's all about pers- and doing what you want to do okay and so the management company and then um, and so what happened was the master the tenant at one point decided to Vacate the entire property. So at one point we had about fifty percent vacancy on the property, and this poor management company, terrible management company, was horrible. So we got them out. Um, I created a, my own property management company. I brought in a property manager to manage the asset, and uh, we just you know started cranking and cranking and cranking, and, and that's been one of the hardest deals that we had to work on um, because of that situation. So I recommend uh, not buying a property that has a tenant with a master lease in it unless you're able to get them out immediately and renovate everything at once and then we leave right
0: yeah thanks for sharing this experience yeah what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now
1: am I excited about yeah our focus is acquiring multi-family uh, I'm excited uh, about the fact that there's probably going to be some great opportunities uh, coming to market very very soon I'm also very excited that the economy is bouncing back people are getting uh, people are starting to work again uh, and the economy is growing I'm excited I'm uh, excited. You know, I have my coaching program, my mentoring program, my six-week master online master class that people can come and learn multifamily and start living life on their terms rather by default. So I'm excited to help people achieve massive success. I'm excited about my team. I'm excited about the fact that we are working with a, a South American group that is raising all of the capital for all of our deals now. So We don't have to worry about raising capital. We partnered with them. And now all we're doing is just finding the deals, analyzing them, passing it off to them. They're raising the capital and we're closing on it. So this is very exciting. That's cool. And
0: what is the best advice you have received? What's the best advice that I've received?
1: Yes. Well, at one point I was told go big quickly, which is great advice because, you know, buying a 10 unit apartment complex and a 50 unit apartment complex and a 100 unit apartment complex, the process is the same. The only thing that's different is the amount of money that you have to come up, right? Obviously the bigger units, the more money you have to come up with. So start somewhere where you're comfortable, okay? And if buying a four unit, is where you're comfortable then go for it okay um, but if you can go bigger 10, 20, 40, 50 units that's great no one says you have to buy a 100 unit apartment complex or a 400 unit apartment complex you know that there's a lot of moving pieces there's a lot of people that need to be involved and, and it, it, it's a lot of work sometimes the 10, 20 unit properties will make you more money and give you less headache right, right? and the other one is start networking start telling everybody what you're doing and how they can help you and get other people's money for your deal
0: right great Like so any of your personal head habits that helped you to for your success
1: personal habits yeah of course uh, make people success right it's your habit how you wake up in the morning what you say to yourself in the morning uh, how you treat others how you know how you treat yourself the number one relationship that i teach right this is a relationship business everything is about relationships but the most important relationship that you must have and it has to be an amazing relationship is the relationship you have with yourself what you say to yourself how you treat yourself how you talk to yourself you know how you manifest things in your life right what 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 thought do I keep having? Um, these habits are, are the path to success or failure depending on what kind of thoughts and, and, and you know, thought patterns and habits that you have. The ability to sit and to manifest what I want into existence. This habit has been incredible for me. Right? So all these little habits um, that you do, you gotta understand that successful people do things differently than unsuccessful people. And it's about the habit. Right,
0: so you need one book that impacted
1: your life and what way? Oh, tons of books, constantly reading, but of course, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And then I think it's by um, Eli Wazel, I, I forget, it's called called uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hess. Okay. This book sent me on my six-year journey around the world.
0: Great. On what way you're giving back to community?
1: What do I give back? I belong to the downtown Boca Raton Rotary Club. I joined the Rotary Club and this is a huge philanthropic group where uh, it's not a networking group. It's a service above self. Um, My group, we uh, organize food every weekend and we give it to um, underprivileged kids who don't have food at home during the weekend. They get food at school, but during the weekend, they don't have any food. So we right now serve about 200 families in our community that every week we package food on Friday and we give to them that these kids have food for the weekend we raise money for different funds we I mean Rotary International is is, is just that it's a a motto service above self. so we serve our community uh, the immediate community and the global community as well that's what I do for giving back and I highly recommend everybody go and hit up your local Rotary club
0: great so how can we connect with you
1: sure you can uh, find me on www with the the name of my company's cornerstone investment partners my email is n i z a n at invest with e-i-p.com. and if you want to check out uh, my coaching and mentoring and if you want me to speak at any of your events and teach uh, you can check me out at www.traveling-investor.com and my phone number is five six one two one two seven two four seven. thank you nisan thank you I um, appreciate it
0: yeah I really enjoyed the conversation thank Thank you thank you very much my pleasure thank you for listening creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast i hope you learned something from the show see you in the next episode thank you any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only as always please consult with your own cpa legal and financial advisor before investing